0: If you have your Bibles, we will be in uh, mostly Exodus chapter 5 today. Um, So here's how today is going to go. I will quote C.S. Lewis three times. Um, Now, if you're new here, you might be thinking, that's got to be a record. It is not even close. Uh, uh, I saw a while back somebody say, Several people email me this, some kind of satirical article written by people who go to church or whatever, and uh, <laughs> the headline was, uh, Congregation Sees Pastor C.S. Lewis, Lewis Quote Coming from a Mile Away. Uh, I felt personally attacked at first, and then I was like, yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't care. He helps me, and I want him to help you. Like, he helps me see and, and, and understand. And so uh, it doesn't, doesn't bother me that I quote Lewis a lot because he's helped me so much. Uh, and today, I just, I just, it's, it's just not avoidable. It just has to be done. Uh, so that's what's going to happen. So we're in Exodus. We're telling this, this, walking through this amazing story of God's work uh, with his people. Um, where we are in the story is God's people have ended up in slavery uh, in Egypt through uh, an amazing situation through this guy named Joseph. But anyway, they were saved, and then uh, the pharaohs forgot about Joseph and uh, all the good that he had done. And so the descendants uh, of Abraham, Joseph being one of them, uh, he and the, one of the later pharaohs ends up enslaving them uh, because they're very, very, and they're, they're afraid. And so, um, this guy, God, through this amazing situation, uh, raises up uh, through the protection of a, a group of, of women and men, protect this guy named Moses, and God raises him up. And when we, uh, this, kind of the story gets going. Um, Moses is 80 years old, which feels late in the story, you know, like to, to pick it up. But he's 80. He's away from home. He really feels at home nowhere. He grew up in the palace of Egypt, but uh, they rejected him because he was an Israelite. Uh, the Israelites rejected him because he grew up in, in the palace. And so he's been, and now he's like had to flee for his life. He's living in this land called Midian, working for his father in law. When God meets him and says, I got a task for you, I want you to go. I'm going to free the people of Israel. My people are going to set them free, and you're going to go, and you're going to be a tw- In this, and Moses has all of these objections uh, for why he's not going to do this, why he doesn't want to do this. He says, uh, "Look, I'm nobody and nobody. Nobody cares who I am. Uh, Why would not anybody listen to me? uh, No. And and why would I? What do I even say about you when I get there? Uh, And Israel's not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that I heard from you and that you sent me. I'm not a good talker. I I just don't want to go." Please, Moses actually says this. This is not not my paraphrase. He actually says, please send someone else. So God's um, angry at Moses, but he says, listen. He he concedes, or he helps him out. And sends his brother Aaron, says your brother Aaron will go with you. Aaron's a good talker. He can go with you. I'll speak to you. You tell Aaron. Aaron can speak to the people of Israel and to Pharaoh. And this is what happens. I want to start, so he sends him back. Moses is all kind of, you know, nervous about it. Why should I do any of these things? And this happens, this is the end of chapter 4. I almost read just the last few verses because this is what happens. Uh, God sends Moses. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord spoke had spoken to Moses. And did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their head and they worshiped. This is, okay, so this is how, so Moses doesn't want to go. He has all these objections. Nobody's going to listen to me. What difference can be, can it be, please send somebody else. He shows up. He does the signs God's given him. He says that God met, tells him what he says, and they believe and they bow their heads and they worship um, that's a beautiful scene like, they hear what God has said and, and they worship uh, and, and, and let's not forget the promises what, what God's promised them what, what Moses tells them what he says to them is the promises that God told him in the desert uh, and just in the previous page uh, 316 uh, he says this go gather the elders of Israel together say to them the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying I've observed you And what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you out, up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So his promise is he shows up and says, listen, I've heard from God. This is what God told me to tell you. He's gonna do this thing. He's gonna take you out of Egypt. He's gonna take you out of slavery. And he's gonna take you to the land that he promised Abraham that we would have. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They hear this news of salvation, and they hear it as good news. What it is, right? It's good news that God has seen our affliction. I love that God has seen our affliction. He, it's good news that God is not indifferent to suffering. He's not sitting so far and so high away that He doesn't care that we struggle. He has heard and seen their suffering, and I. I imagine that they still have questions, right? It's encouraging that God hears our suffering and sees our suffering, but they've been suffering for. I imagine the question would still be like, that's amazing that you've seen our suffering. What about the last several centuries? Centuries. I'm sure they have questions, but it's still good news, even with the questions, that God sees and is aware of the suffering. Um, And he visits them. Uh, I had a call this week, um, a buddy of mine called and said that, um, asked a question, we're just talking about, he's a pastor, a uh, faithful, he's, he's a good dude, a good, a good pastor, uh, and uh, he said, we're just talking through, he has to do some ministry to a, a family that's gone through a great loss and is struggling, and so we were talking through that, and just reminding ourselves, you know, that there are no words that we can say, there's that pressure that you show up to say the right thing. You know, to say the say the words that can fix it, and when there's great tragedy and great loss, just so you know, there are no words that can fix it. You know, there's there's bad words, there's wrong words, and I think that's one of the reasons we struggle so much with suffering is that there are no words that can fix it, so we just feel so helpless when you go through. suffering, it just feels lonely because nobody has the right words. Like you feel like nobody knows how bad my job is. Nobody knows how bad this relationship is. Nobody knows about this loss and how I feel it. Like nobody knows. It can feel so lonely. And scripture says repeatedly over and over again that we serve a God who is not indifferent to your suffering. He's visited and he's seen. You are not alone. He is with you. As a matter of fact, the uh, author, whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, said in Hebrews 4, he said that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our conversion. To our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We worship a God who not only is seen but he is visited and walked among us. He knows our temptations. He knows our hurts and he is present with us. That is a great comfort. You are not alone. It's also good news that he says this. Even when we have questions, he says this. He's going to act powerfully to save them. God is going to come and save them, which is an God is going to save them is an amazing truth. God is going to save us is an amazing truth. But perspective matters, doesn't it? I mean, it's great news, I guess, right? I mean, if you believe that you're great and things are going great, what do I need to be saved from? You know what I mean? Like, if your life is just great, okay, you know? If, however, uh, you are a slave in Egypt forced to make bricks in support uh, of the vanity projects for a, of a never-ending succession of rulers who believe they're divine, salvation probably sounds pretty good. Like, I need to be rescued from this situation, right? The power of perspective. You know, uh, so they think salvation's a great idea. They're all excited about this. I mean, just so you know, though, that changes pretty fast. I mean, it's not too many chapters later, uh, in Exodus 16, uh, they uh, are out in the wilderness, God has saved them, he's rescued them out from the land uh, land of Egypt in the the wilderness, and in Exodus 16 it says this, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, (laughs) what? Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. You brought us into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Perspective, you know? I mean, yes, God has visited us and he's gonna save us. He does it and you're like, yeah, I don't know, man. Slavery doesn't sound so bad. I don't really love milk and honey that much anyway. Uh, Tell me more about the meat pots. I'm pro meat pot. I want to go back there to back. Like, it's just a crazy thing to think, but like perspective really matters when we think about good news, right? That's why Jesus says crazy things. Like in Matthew 19, he says again. And I don't. Not just Matthew three. Three of the gospel writers say this. Quote this: Jesus saying, "It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get in the kingdom of heaven." Why? Perspective. I don't need to escape if this is pretty good. Wednesday uh, begins um, the season of Lent. We have our Ash Wednesday service uh, at 6 o'clock this week. Uh, When I was growing up in a small town in Alabama uh, a long time ago, uh, I, I really... Only was afraid of, uh, we really just kind of taught, I don't know where we picked it up, to fear two things. I mean, like, there were kind of like the, the normal fears, uh, you know, like uh, of the Russians or whatever, you know. Uh, we were still like hiding under our desks in case the Russians dropped bombs. Uh, that's a real thing that happened, uh, by the way, in case you are curious, that they would tell you to hide under your desk. Uh, and we didn't get sent home, by the way, like we did this week when the hurricane warnings. You went in the hall and put your head between your knees and prayed to your God that's what you did, and so, uh, but anyway, so uh, we had real, we had fears like, no, normal fears like the Russians, but like the real things that we feared on like a daily basis were uh, Ouija boards and Lent, uh, and, and here's what I mean, uh, we, we didn't understand it, right, like we didn't understand what was going on, it was just, because it's a small town in Alabama, there, like there was just that one Catholic family, on, you didn't even know it was Lent until they showed up at the mall with ashes on their head, like, and you're like, what is happening, what is on your face, and we didn't understand uh, this tradition and so it was just weird to us and so we were just kind of grew up being like, I don't know, man. I want none of that voodoo doll stuff, right? And so it was weird to me, but... I, I, I've come, I've grown, and I've learned. And and, and there's a bad way to do it, and a good way to do it. But here's one of the things, one of the reasons that I love Lent. It's the season that leads up to Easter. It's the 40 days, if you you don't count Sundays, that lead to the the biggest celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whom we have our resurrection. And if if the idea of Lent as a formal thing bothers you, just think of it as a 40 day Bible study uh, focused on this idea that you are mortal and sinful. And here's the deal. Here's why I think Lent's so helpful to me. But just out of curiosity. That's right. This is interactive today. Uh, uh, if you kind of, in your adult life, first experienced Ash Wednesday and in, in Lenten season here at BCC, if you've been doing this with me, uh, raise your hand. Just tell me. Yeah, there's a few of you. Okay. Uh, it, it was not a thing that we grew up doing and so we started doing it here at BCC uh, about 10-11 years ago uh, as, as we started. It's just man, it's just helpful. So of those of you that raise your hand, how many of you is it one of the most meaningful services of the year to you? Yeah. Here, here, here's why I think that's true. Uh, because we are not naturally going to think, get up and like, you know what I want to read about today? My mortality. We're not going to naturally get up and go, you know what I am? I'm super sinful. I should meditate on that. Lent provides perspective. It it, it provides perspective for me on the life that I'm living, the salvation that I need, right? It's just reminding that I came from dust and one day I'll return to dust. If you want to live wisely, Lent is a big help. Because the Bible talks about how to live wisely. The beginning of it, it says in Proverbs 9 and 10, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you want to know the beginning of wisdom, wisdom, you want to live well, skill at living right, be aware that God is in control and he is sovereign. And it also says this uh, in several places, but let's look at uh, Psalm 90. It says this, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You want a heart of wisdom? How to live skillfully? Number your days. Perspective matters. And Lent is a helpful perspective on our need of salvation. So this Wednesday yeah, Six o'clock. We'll have our Ash Wednesday service. Did he just do an announcement in the middle of the sermon? Yeah, I did. Uh, this Wednesday at six o'clock, uh, we'll have our Ash Wednesday service. You are more than welcome to come. I would encourage it. It gives us perspective. We need salvation from sin and a faith, sin, sorry, from sin and uh, death. What an amazing thing I think, though. Right? One of the, about these verses that we just read is that God God bothers with us, with us at all, right? Isn't it amazing that he bothers to care about us? Not only does he bother to care about us, but that he loves us. I can't imagine the high Moses was on after this. I mean, all of the resistance, all of the I don't want to do it, no way, all of the obstacles that he had set up in his mind, God pushes him, pushes him, and pushes him. He finally relents, and he goes, he goes to the people who he who said, who said that will never, ever believe me, and they worshiped because They believed. I bet that felt great. I bet his, I bet his faith grew. I bet from his perspective, his faith grew. I believe in this God who sent me. Next, I'm going to Pharaoh, and I bet he walked into Pharaoh with a bit of a swagger. This God is with me, and he does things. Chapter five. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that we may hold a feast; to, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, uh, "Who is this Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let people go." Then they said, uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or, or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many And you make them rest from their burdens the same day, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as you did in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they that they made in the past, you shall still impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, because they're idle. Therefore they cry let us go and offer sacrifices to our god let heavier work be laid on them on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people thus says Pharaoh I'm not give you straw go get the straw for yourselves wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble, uh, stubble for straw and the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, and when there, uh, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and they say to us, make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault's in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The former the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce, uh, you shouldn't by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily, uh, your daily tasks each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. As they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord, Yahweh, look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses turned to Yahweh and said, oh, Yahweh, why have you done this evil to people, to your people, to this people? Why did you even send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Pharaoh's response is the people who wrote, whoever wrote Exodus, Moses, right, but he's collecting things probably. It doesn't matter. Moses uh, wrote, writing Exodus, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Setting this conflict up on this dramatic stage. So uh, Pharaoh's response is this uh, Hey, I don't know who got you, uh, who told you to, that this should happen? Oh, Yahweh, is he in the room with us right now? Is this God here that you speak of? I don't know him. I'm not listening to him, I'm not do anything he says. So the writers are setting this up because as we go through like the plagues and stuff, what you see is uh, God introducing himself to Pharaoh repeatedly. You don't know who I am? This is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. It is amazing. He says, look, no concessions are gonna be made. He accuses Moses and Aaron of distracting the people from their work and orders that very day that the work be increased, So this is amazing, because what this is, this is a challenge to God himself, right? Who's in charge? You think Yahweh's in charge? I'll show you who's in charge. I'm in charge. This is a challenge to God, uh, to to God himself to say, you think you're real? You believe in this real God? I'll show you what's reality. Reality is, you're going to make more bricks, or you're not the same number of bricks, but I'm going to make it harder on you. That is the reality. The reality is it's going to get difficult. This is a battle for who is in charge. And Israel's response is one of shock and disappointment. Can you imagine the low that Moses is on now? <laughs> right? Like he just comes off this huge high. Look at all these things God does. He does this new low. It sounds like he's almost been traumatized why did you even send me? You have done nothing at all. I kind of get it though, right? You know? I'm sympathetic. Um, I mean, how am I supposed to make sense of this? Why did you bother me? I was keeping a flock in another land and you dragged me here against my will. These people were doing okay. Now it's worse. I came and I told them, they bowed their heads, and they worshiped, and you still haven't done anything. How do you make sense of that, right? What about all of the promises and the reason I'm sympathetic is because uh, when suffering happens in my life, when struggle happens in my life, uh, uh, you know, I tend to be pragmatic. Uh, we, 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 like, we'll try a thing and see if it works, right? So they've tried, the, all right, we'll try this Yahweh thing. Uh, Land of milk and honey sounds great. Sign us up. Uh, two days go by, we're like, we're out. We don't want this anymore. Uh, please return to sender. Uh, we will go back to how things were. And I, I'm sympathetic because I'm that way as well. Like, I... Uh, Faith is shaken, I think, when suffering happens because uh, it's terrible. And it's really powerful. And it's real. When suffering responds, I think that we, we, we respond, when suffering happens, we respond out of what is most real. And at this moment, Pharaoh seems to be realer than Yahweh. At this moment, he has the power to inflict Pain. It's nice of the promise that God is bigger, but right now this is inflicting pain. Life would probably be better if we just did what the Pharaoh said. Uh, forget this milk and honey garbage. Not a big fan of it anyway. Let's just bake our bricks, be good slaves, go to our home home and our fam- go, go home to our wife and kids. It's just how life is. It isn't that bad. At least we get the weekend, right? Just let us live for the weekend. Because suffering happens, and that is our mindset, to return to slavery. Or the slavery maybe isn't that bad. Suffering does that. When the loneliness comes into our life, when sadness comes into our life, when pain comes into our life, when loss comes into our life, it can really seem a whole lot realer than the promises of heaven when we struggle, it seems so real because it's so hard. When loneliness comes and all these things happen, the lies get so much easier to believe. Wouldn't it be better if you just took a shortcut, shortcut to relieve the suffering? God doesn't really want you to be like this, does he? Isn't there a way out? And we have a temptation to be, we have the temptation to believe not I mean, at the very bottom, it's what's real and true. Are the promises of God real, or is the suffering that I'm facing now real? Which is realer? But for us, I mean, because this is this has shaken many a, 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 a person's faith. Suffering has. But I mean, I, I mean, if we're if we like read what the Bible says, right? I mean. It shouldn't really be that much of a surprise, right? I mean, Jesus never promises that there wouldn't be suffering. He, he actually says the opposite. <laughs> you know? He says the crazy things like, hey, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. That's how you come after me. And, and like, you see how they treated me? Don't think they're gonna treat you any better. He says those kind of crazy things, which is a terrible way to start a movement, you would think. This way lies suffering. He promises us this, but we're not, pro- sorry, we're not promised that there'd be no suffering. What we're promised is that by faith we get a whole new life, right? This being born into a whole new reality. He promises salvation. He promises sonship and he promises that God's life, that eternal kind of life will flow into us. It's available to us now in suffering and in success. We like to say this a lot here uh, uh, because it's just really helpful, uh, that it's never your situation that tells you whether or not God loves you, it's the cross. Are you on top? Like, you think you had everything under control? That's what your sin cost. You feel awful and beaten down by your sin and failure, the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you, that's how deeply loved you are. It's not our situation, it's the cross that tells us that. Our situation is, uh, if you're collecting nerd quotes, a simul justice et peccator. That's Martin Luther's phrase. We are simultaneously sinners and justified. That's our situation. Sin cost this, justified by what was done for us on our behalf. So we don't have to be surprised by our suffering and our struggles. They don't tell us that we're not worthy. They don't tell us that we're not loved. They don't do any of those things. They aren't strange. Peter actually says that. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, he says, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked when temptations come. They're coming to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What, God, this, this, this section is so helpful. This, this passage, uh, this part of the story is so helpful um, because it shows us what's going on. It shows us what's happening, right? So in, in, in chapter four, verse 30, uh, it, it says this. Uh, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed, when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. They bring God's word, right? God's word comes and arise and they hear God's word and they receive it. Yes, this is good news. And then look what the Pharaoh does. Verses eight and nine and chapter five. But the number of bricks that you make in the past shall, uh, shall still, you shall close on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. The Pharaoh's goal is to distract them from God's word. Don't listen to the promises. Don't listen to what God said. You listen to me. This is Pharaoh's goal. He is doing what false gods have always done, trying to convince us not to listen to God. Genesis 3 2 and 5, gosh, at the beginning of Genesis 3, I know, we go here so often, I don't care. 3, 2 through 5, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do not believe God's words, listen to me. And then, Here's what false gods always do. They try to convince us not to listen to God's word, not to believe his promises, and then they turn up the noise. They they just begin to crank down. They turn up the noise uh, to distract us. So in Matthew, Jesus is giving this, this beautiful uh, parable and he actually explains it. It's one of the few uh, that he, he explains. Uh, and this is what he says in, in 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, but it has no root in himself, endures for a while, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one that is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is what's happening. They've heard the word. They've received it with joy. But when trials and tribulation comes, it withers. Uh, you, like me, uh, have many, many years gone by where uh, every New Year's you make a plan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna memorize more scripture this year. I'm gonna read the Bible this year. I'm gonna get involved in a small group. And we have all of these things that we're like, yes, I believe that the truth that those things are good for me. I believe the truth that those things ought to be planted in my heart. I believe that those will be good helps. I'm gonna memorize scripture. I'm gonna do all of these things. And then what happens by February? Numbers comes along, right? That's difficult. Genesis, Exodus, or Leviticus, right? Leviticus and Numbers comes along. It's difficult. It, or, or what? All of a sudden it feels like this is how we describe life so much. <laughs> right? That's, like, how's life? <laughs> you know, like that happens. <laughs> That's the cares of the world, right? It's troubles and tribulations. These things seem to rise up. They, as a matter of fact, as soon as we commit ourselves to something beautiful, these noises rise. The volume is just cranked up. And we can't even hear straight anymore. We can't hear straight. That's a terrible mixed metaphor. You can't even hear it right anymore. We can't even see straight. The noise is turned up. The cares of the world, troubles distract us. So how do we make sense of this though, right? What's going on? It's a fair question, I think, for them to ask. Or for us to ask. Why not just save them now? I mean, if you know the story, you know what's about to happen. He's gonna send a bunch of plagues. <laughs> like he's, exactly what God said would happen, happens. He's gonna, Pharaoh is gonna kick them out of the land. And they're gonna get to the promised land. They're gonna do all, why not just do that now? Why the whole make more bricks stuff, or sorry, make the same number of bricks with less straw? Why, why the more suffering part? right? Why not just save them now? Well, you keep reading the story, you find out God's doing something even bigger, right? He's not just saving them from slavery. And he's not just saving them to take them into the promised land. He's saving them, we're gonna read and unlearn, so that he can live among them and they can be together. He's saving them to make them the type of people that deserve to be in the land. He is Saving them to make them like himself. He says things like, be holy because I'm holy. He's saving them to be a light to the whole world. He's saving them to bless the entire world through them. He is making them into the type of people that can live in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the rest of them with him rightly. If he had just taken them out of Egypt and given them the land, like just the shortcut, They'd still be the same people. You ever f- feel stuck, right? Like we, I think sometimes we get stuck and we think we just got to change our situation up a little bit, right? Uh, we could we just be better people. Everything would be better if we could just change our uh, situation. Uh, uh, but uh, at forty seven, uh, as I've changed my situation up sometimes and tried different things and new things, new workout, new diet. I'm going to drink a gallon of water this year, whatever. You know, I'm going to make things different, right? And even when I change my circumstances, I think a lot of time, and I think probably true for you too, um, we end up right back where we started, right? Enslaved to the same old things. Cheesecake just has a hold on me. I'm making light of it, but it's serious. You know. Not the cheesecake thing. That was, you know, it's delicious. But the same old sins get a hold of us. We fall back into the same things. new job. Start therapy, different relationship, new kid, bigger house, more vacation, but we're still stuck. It's almost like no matter where we're trying to get, we end up back where we started from. And what we're gonna learn in Exodus is because if you go without God, you're still gonna be you when you get there. By the way, that's exactly what happens to him. (laughs) by the way, he takes them to the promised land, into this land, and they begin to behave just like the people that they drove out, that God drove out before them. They end up right back where they are now, enslaved to other people, God is offering them a new life with a right view on reality. This is how they need to see the world. God says, this is what it says at the end of six, or the beginning of six, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, with a strong hand he's gonna send you out, with a strong hand he's gonna drive you out of the land. Stop and watch what I am going to do. I need you to understand reality. I know that the suffering feels more real. I need you to see with my eyes. I need you to know that I am more powerful than these gods. I'm sure Moses at this point is really upset that God bothered him at all. (laughs) Why don't you just leave me where I was? But I think God bothers us because we're so easily distracted. By the noise of the world, by false gods that pursue us, by bad views of reality that lead us right back to where we were. According to Scripture, God has bigger plans for you and me than we do for ourselves. Total new hearts. Total new life. This is what Jesus invites us into, right? He shows us and then he invites us into this, that through faith in him, we can have access to this eternal quality of life. And he's growing that reality inside of us, right? Growing that understanding and that vision inside of us. Look, there's just no such thing as untested faith. It just doesn't exist. He is teaching us to hear. He is teaching us to act according to this new reality that He has shown us and made real in our hearts. To hear what He has said. This guy named, uh, I don't know how to say his name, here, said it this way. He said, It could be said that the root of all disaster in the Christian life is the failure to hear and believe what the Word of God says and to act accordingly. God calls us out of this life of slavery to a life that he shows us, this new reality, this new eternity to be a blessing to the world. Here's the deal, don't worry if you're not making much progress. I have it on good authority that he will not quit till he gets us there. He's inviting us out of slavery into discipleship. A whole new ways of living and thinking, new ways of, of feeling, that are so much deeper and richer and eternal than our current ways of seeing things. He's teaching us. He's not saving us just to save us from suffering. He's saving us so that in suffering and success, we can begin to be shaped to think and feel and see how he does when good things come and when bad things come how do we understand them what reality do we interpret them through the way that you look at life at problems at successes at tragedies at loss at being he's training us to be like him in all of these things wins and losses are going to be part of life The good news is they have purpose. I don't always understand it. I got questions. But I believe there's purpose. Your other alternative is to say that there is no purpose and you just wander through life, you know, wandering in the desert with no meaning. That's not a great alternative. To know this truth and know this reality. So here's how you do this. You listen to God's word. Pursue quiet. I promise you the world is trying to rob you of quiet for this very reason. The same reason to Pharaoh. So we don't listen to the words of God, to what he has to say to us about what we think and about what we feel. Worship helps us align those things. The reality is, according to this, he says, God says, I'm going to have the last word. One day every knee will bow. That's the reality that we live in. That's the reality we've been invited into. This week in our wins and our losses, don't listen to what's louder. Listen to what is true. All right, I'm gonna read it. I read this quote a lot, and I do not care if it upsets you. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, you you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those things needed doing, and so you're not surprised, But presently, he starts knocking the house about in such a way that it hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's filling out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. We're not just saved from suffering and struggles. We are saved to something. This is the good news. To this new reality that will one day invade everything that we already have access to now by faith in Jesus Christ that we can have this level of life. What a gift. It's available for free. By faith. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have not left me on my own to consider these things, to make my way through life, to make sense of struggles and grief, but that they have a purpose, they have a reason, they have a meaning. What, what, what amazing news that you have invited us into a total different life, new hearts, new ways of thinking. Shape us. And that we don't listen to what is loudest, but that we listen to what is true. Make us more like Jesus. So that, that this week when we face wins, that we know what to do with them in our heart. That we don't think we deserve them, but with great gratitude, we thank and praise you. And we face losses and hurts and trials and struggles. May we face it with this reality that it does not say anything about how deeply loved we are. that we hear the promises more loudly than we hear the noise of suffering. Hmm. what good news. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In Christ's name we pray, amen.